Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics. It's the podcast that's devoted to all things comic books in both movies and TVs. How you doing? My name is Adam and my co-host for today is... It's Gareth. Hey, I'm back. He is back. And uh, we're about to do a big review of Deadly Class. We've got uh, much to say about this and much to decipher. But uh, if you've not yet watched Deadly Class and you want to, go watch it before listening to this podcast because we're going to be spoiling away and uh, Gareth's going to do his best not to spoil beyond this season one. Yeah, we were, we were talking about this before the recording started and um, the first season, which now turns out to be the only season... Lame. Yeah, agreed. Screw you, Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, um, yeah the first season only kind of covers the first kind of ten issues of the comic itself. We we've got so much more story. There's so much more that goes on with this afterwards that like I'm gonna have to just really corral myself. Um, but if you if you enjoy this episode, if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy Deadly Class, and you haven't read the comics, you got to dive in. You have to dive in. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, doesn't know what Deadly Class is, uh, it was a comic book written by uh, Rick Remender, drawn by Wes Craig. Uh, it was an Image Comics production about, I'd say, four years ago? Four, that maybe five years ago? Right. When, when Remender initially sort of, uh, I say, left Marvel, stopped writing for Marvel, yeah. he uh, burst on the scene of Image, and dare I say, he... Uh he wasn't there to pat possums. No. Um, no. <laughs> or fornicate with arachnids. Well, either. look, yeah, my mate said the possum line the other day. I must <laughs> have, I'm keeping that. Um, I, I, like I said, I've been very critical of Remender's Marvel stuff. Some stuff I've really liked. Some stuff I just cannot bloody stand. Yeah, he, um, he started really, really well with his Marvel stuff. Like Uncanny X-Force was an unbelievable run. Oh, yeah. That um, was great. And as he went on, it just got more and more by the numbers. And you could tell he wasn't creatively fulfilled. He wasn't enjoying what he was doing. And it felt like that kind of work for hire kind of vibe. Well, good Lord, did he go off to the races when he joined Image? Yeah. Because uh, his uh, <clears throat> Deadly Class was one of his first ones, right? It was yeah, yeah, Deadly yeah. Deadly Class, Black, Black Science, Science, and Low, I think we're all kind of the Low same was time. A little bit, a little bit later, maybe, yeah. yeah. Um, he also did Tokyo Ghost. Correct. Oh, what a great book. Um, but was yeah, good. Deadly Class was kind of the, one of the big ones that really captured a lot of people's attention because it was something that wasn't really being done at the time. Um, you know, we'd had stuff like Umbrella Academy in the past. We'd had Doom Patrol. We'd had a few other kind of teen teen books that focused on, focused on teenagers without catering just to a teenage audience, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a big sort of deal, Remender, sort of going to Image because at the time it was um, just to sort of set the scene when he first did this. Um, it was at a point where not like it wasn't quite reminiscent of when Image started, but it was kind of at a point where a lot of big name writers and uh, artists that were from Marvel and DC sort of went to Image to sort of really blossom with their own cre- creativity and yeah, sort of, uh, break the chain, so to speak. Not to make it sound like they're this weird sort of regime. No, but but, um, it, but there was more of that kind of backing yourself mentality, wasn't there? That yeah. kind of punk rock spirit, which runs all the way through Deadly Class, whether it's the comic or the TV show. That punk rock spirit is running absolutely roughshod through the whole thing. Um, and you could tell both Remender and Wes Craig, like Wes Craig had popped up here and there doing um, his own web comics. Uh, Black Hand was a really, really um, interesting kind of Tales from the Crypt style anthology sort of thing. Um, nice. He's popped up later on doing stuff like Gravedigger's Union, but Deadly Class was really the thing that you could tell because he was in there from the from the ground floor as part of the creative process, he had his hands all over the designs, the storyboarding. It really was a proper collaborative effort between the two guys, and I think it worked so, so well in that regard. 
Yeah, I mean, like you had uh, people like like Hickman and Fraction and Brubaker, Jason and, Aaron as well. Yeah, yep. yeah, Jason Aaron, like a bunch of people had done it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, Rick Remender's coming out with this. I was like, oh shit, all right, that's it. Will. And then you read the premise, which we're going to dive into very soon. I try, believe me. <laughs> um, I remember reading, just going, oh man, this is good. I think I missed the first maybe one or two issues just in my uh, in my stupor, and it kind of like, oh well, uh, you know, down the road, rah rah rah. Yeah. But I never got around to it. So the good thing about this podcast is uh, we're going to review this podcast as myself, someone who hasn't read the comics, just enjoying it as a TV show, and yourself, a massive fan who is wearing the T-shirt. Yeah, and somebody who literally owns every piece of merchandise that's come out for it, including skateboard decks. I don't, a skateboard deck? I don't know how to skate. Right. doesn't matter. I'm still going to own the skateboard deck that goes with it. Cause I'm good at looking like I know how to skate. There you go. Yeah. you got it sorted yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm poser level. level yeah. I used to skate back in the day, but then I got a driver's license and I'm like, I don't need that anymore. I didn't but, even um, do that, man. Don't yeah. even worry. <laughs> but um, okay. So um, Sci-Fi did the TV show. That's correct. Um, yeah. I was about to say it was a great success. It was bloody good, but uh, clearly not successful as we are uh, sort of... Um, alluded to at the start of the show. It's been canned after the That's season it. one. Yeah, we, we kind of put off doing this episode a little longer than anticipated because there was so much speculation about what was going to happen with the second season, when it was going to come out, whether it was going to stay on the sci-fi network, whether it was going to get shopped around to other networks. Uh, turns out, no, it's just a one and done season, which is so unbelievably disappointing. It is absolute balls, as the kids would say. <laughs> um, yeah, like I follow Remender on um, on Twitter and uh, a bunch of other comic people and stuff. And there was a bit of a thing when it sort of came out. Obviously, everyone sort of jumps out and goes, oh, Netflix, Netflix will do it. Bloody, they did it with, uh, what other show did Netflix? Uh, Lucifer, they did it with. That's the one. Yeah. Okay, so people are like, oh, no, it's all good. It'll go to Netflix. Yeah, it's all good. And like, you know, a lot of the Marvel shows. It's just a little airborne. It's yeah. still good. It's still <laughs> exactly. good. Exactly. Like a lot of people with the Marvel shows now, it's like, just like, I'm like, me in particular as well. I'm like, I'm not sweating it. It's going to go to Disney Plus. Exactly. Uh, they don't have this luxury. And I was kind of like, shit, I really hope, you know, someone would. And like, the thing you got to do is just try and let your voice be heard on social media. I was, I was, I was tweeting like a, like a bastard. Yeah. Um, tagging hashtag deadly class. Someone picked this up, you know, doing what we can um, as, as a fan. And yeah, and then eventually remember to tweet, look, sorry guys, it's uh, not getting picked up, rah, rah, rah. But hey, look, coming out soon, we're doing the comic and, you know, all that. Yeah. It's like, and I think it's the good thing with it, at least not being followed on in a series. There is a pretty obvious jumping in point for the comics. So if you enjoyed it, you can dive into the first volume of the comic. It kind of tells the story of the first season. And then from that point on, it follows almost directly on. Um, the stuff that they featured in the TV show that was a little bit different that we'll get into as we go on. Uh, just as a quick recap on the story of Deadly Class. Um, Probably important. Eh, maybe, kind of, somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the main, the main protagonist is a character called Marcus. He is an orphan of, um, I believe, Guatemalan heritage. Um, his parents were immigrants in America. They lived in San Francisco. Um, they were killed um, in a freak accident. Uh, Marcus basically was raised in an orphanage, and it was one of those... It's the whole the whole setting of this is in uh, like Reagan era, nineteen eighty four, eighty five, around that kind of era. Uh, I believe the TV show says nineteen eighty seven. Let's go with that then. Um, yeah, that kind of whole Reaganomics kind of period. America's you know that brutal brutal capitalism by any means necessary kind of vibe. Greed um, is good. Absolutely, yeah. That whole Wall Street kind of vibe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Marcus is raised in this orphanage where it basically they're they're sweatshop slaves. Oh, it's just awful. It's yeah, it's the the absolute dirt worst. They're they're fed 
absolute basics. They're given a little bit of water and shelter and that Sweet kind of thing. Sweet nourishing gruel. Mmm, delicious. <laughs> Gotta love those, right? Um, Two Simpsons references already. <laughs> um, yeah, so his his life is, is shite, basically. Like, he's having yeah. a terrible time. His roommate is this crazy, abusive, scarred-up lunatic called Fuckface. Yeah. Uh, Chester is the Chester. guy's name, but he ends up taking the name Fuckface later on. As any good superhero does. Don't we all? Yeah. Um, Marcus basically is... It gets to a point where he just can't take anymore. He's tired of the abuse, tired of the sweatshop behaviour, and he just needs a way out. So he cooks up this whole attack on his roommate who's been abusing him, both physically and mentally. Um, Basically sets off this explosive device that he's been able to corral together with all these bits he's stolen. Kind of like a nail bomb, right? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Um, No Max Cavalera involved, though. Oh, if only. (laughs) That album is so good. So good. Um, Yeah, Marcus engineers his escape. The orphanage catches fire in the process. He escapes. The orphanage burns down. Um, He finds himself living on the streets for about three or four months. Yeah, he's pretty much just like a a homeless sort of... uh, Yeah, just this crazy street rat kind of Aladdin sort of vibe. Yeah. But with way more sadness. Yeah, 1987 and, and punk rock and all that. That's it. Yeah, he basically gets found by this group of other young people who represent um, King's Dominion, which is a school where the next generation of assassins and murderers are trained. Um, They're pretty much there to recruit him. They saw what he did with the orphanage. They read in the news what he did. They feel like this kind of kid with this desperation, this nothing-to-lose attitude, he'd be a perfect recruit for this school. Um, so, So they've been tasked by their principal, Master Lin, to come and pick him up and recruit him for the school. Uh, he Master Lin played by Benedict Wong. Yeah, boy. Does a really does good a job. Does a great job. Yeah, a really, like, really good job. Yeah, I was... Uh, I mean, not that he's done anything that I've seen that he hasn't been good in, but uh, yeah. really sort of stepped up to, a, I guess, a bigger role than what I've seen him in. Especially in something like this, which his role ends up being a lot more nuanced than anything in the comics. Yes, and at the start, you're just kind of like, oh, okay, he's, he's doing him again. Yeah, yeah, and then as it goes on, you're like, oh, okay, he's got his own secrets and his own reasons oh, for recruiting so outside good. of the usual recruiting channels and that sort of thing. Because yeah. um, basically the story for Deadly Class is all these different students get recruited from different criminal organisations. They they basically have to graduate this school in order to step up into the next level of their respective organisations, whether it's... Yeah, like, like family ties to the mafia, the Yakuza yeah, or that's like... that's it, uh, drug, the, um, Mexican cartels, cartel. the KGB, yeah. um, all these other kind of, you know, the Stasi, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, there's all sorts of different connections. And I love that in the comic that they show all these weird different backgrounds. They might have some things in common being a similar age, but their own cultural biases, their own kind of, you know, musical... TV influences, that kind of thing. Um, it helps to kind of foster those relationships. Like yeah. as Marcus gets deeper into the school as they go on, his best friend is a character called Willie, who is from um, South Central and Compton. Yeah. He's got that whole background with the with the the gangs, the gang bangers and stuff like that. Um, but Willie is a pacifist. That was a really cool sort of uh, twist. It's a when nice it sort of comes out. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's a nice change. So like Marcus has got this whole crazy desperation to survive it's like no matter the cost survival at all costs i have to just i can't be caged like an animal or a rat i have to just escape yeah so it works really really well with um with willie being that kind of the reverse of what you'd expect for somebody who's quite high up in the the compton side of things um he's just got to graduate the school but he's kind of already got such a heavy reputation with his group well he's got to put on the front this is it he puts up such a crazy front comparatively and then you've got marcus who's almost doing the dirty work where it's like the between the two of them he's willie's teaching him the ins and outs of surviving this school and working together and then he's covering the rep 
for Willie because Willie has no interest in actually murdering people, yeah. but he doesn't have a choice. He's like a big dude as well, so like he casts quite an in- intimidating figure. Which is cool because in the comics, um, Willie's actually quite a small, wiry kind of guy, oh, okay. um, which is which is interesting. Oh. Um, it seems like an odd choice, but I think, like you say, it works actually better in the TV side of things. Mm, like he gives off the vibe that he's not one to be fucked with. Absolutely, yeah. which I think works better for him to be able to just kind of seem like he's delegating and telling yeah. people what to do rather than he's being like, I don't like want to do it. Somewhat of like a, uh, a leader rather than this sort of guy that's you know hesitant to sort of get his hands dirty. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, he was a really cool character. I enjoyed that. I mean, I there's very little about this show I didn't like. Very true, yeah. Um, and again, you get almost that like crazy adrenaline fueled punk rock version of um, Archie and Betty and Veronica going on as well because you get the love triangle with uh, Marcus as he gets more involved with the um, with the rest of the school he kind of gets pulled in two different directions by um, Sire who is the character Master Lin has a particular interest in uh, there's a hinted at relationship between them in the past whether it's through their families whether it's through uh, Master Lin just recruiting her and saving her and that sort of thing. Um, she's basically given the the task of keeping an eye on on Marcus and making sure that he doesn't fuck anything up and he passes as many tests as possible. Um, but they kind of have this sort of will they won't they relationship. At the same time, Marcus is on and off dating slash sleeping with a character called Maria who is the traditional kind of um, sugar skull makeup wearing, you know, she's the lady of death. Mm. You know, she's got that whole kind of, you know, Dia de los Muertos assassin sort of vibe going on. She's got these crazy um, kabuki sort of fans that she carries around uh, everywhere yeah, yeah, really uh, with cool. massive knives attached like, to them. Um, it's a really, really cool, like, aesthetic Malina choice. Mortal Kombat. That's, That's what I was looking for, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so they've, they've done tons of, crazy pieces of art with her and it looks amazing but she as her story gets revealed in the tv show um the only reason she's working for the drug cartels is because they basically killed her family in front of her and basically said you either work for us or your entire town dies they basically try and burn the town down in front of her um so she has no choice she's forced to work for the cartels and she ends up with that almost kind of stockholm syndrome sort of vibe where she's raised from such a young age that even though she's been brutalized and her family's been completely fucked with she has no choice she sees no other life except with the cartels yeah and her boyfriend chico is chico who's the uh, son of uh el diablo the head of the cartel That's who is it. also morales from oz yep and uh, batista from dexter yeah yeah yep. yeah uh been around this guy um <laughs> yeah so the fact that, that she's got this and he's just uh the chico character is just the worst yeah and uh that's her boyfriend as well so it adds to the multi layers of it. hers and then when the uh um, yeah and chico's got this kind of reverse willy kind of vibe where like willy's trying to play against the stereotype even though he has to put on a front he's a pacifist whereas chico's almost going the other way where he's more brutal and sadistic to try and earn his place as the new leader of the drug cartel he's also got to live up to the um the reputation of, the his father. of his father Absolutely. and the fact that he is the you know oh, I was going to say the Don what's the what's the head of a car a capo okay there you go let's go with that yeah right. I think that's more Italian but you know what oh, that's okay. fine <laughs> <laughs> I'm too white to know the uh, the ins and outs I mean of, I am uh, part Sicilian so I can get away with awesome, it it's fine cool like uh, organised crime things that I follow <laughs> um, so yeah there's a, there's a who else are the other main characters we've got um, so you've got uh, Billy is the other kind of wild card in their group um, yeah there's the, there's definitely this whole kind of you know there's like a core set of like kids that this follows yeah they've got this whole brat pack 
kind of vibe where yeah. it's like, you know, it's almost a John Hughes movie on a shitload of mescaline. Yeah, which is really cool. Like, it's, it's yeah, uh, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a bad word from me about this show. Yeah, definitely. There was a lot that I really liked about it. That's but, yeah. it. And, I, and again, I think that, that mid-80s kind of setting worked so well for the vibe of the show, whether it's them going to concerts together, whether it's them listening to certain songs or giving each other mixtapes because that was the technology at the time. Yeah. And it's like, you know, they really lent heavily on the 80s setting and I think it works so bad, so so well to develop this story. Yeah. The Billy character was good fun. He's uh, got like a big sort of blonde mohawk, uh, you know, into the 80s punk rock and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's, he's, American he's, character. he's got that kind of grimy skateboarder kind of vibe. Yeah. You've got his best friend Lex, who's the stereotypical kind of Billy Idol, like I'm I'm a poser kind of punk sort of thing. Yeah. Like they kind of, in the comics, he's a lot more a, um, a straight ahead kind of boot boy kind okay. of look. He's got more of that like traditional oi kind of don't fuck with me Worst sort of vibe. Yeah, he's yeah. got more of that kind of Doc Martens don't fuck with me kind of okay. vibe. Whereas whereas Lex in the in the TV show, he's a lot more of a poser kind of vibe where it's like, oh look, I've got I'm anarchy, I've got spiked up blonde hair. Look at my three hundred dollar leather jacket yeah. kind of vibe. Um but they've got a really good relationship. Um they're basically just constantly taking the piss out of each other. They There's a lot of fun involved those two characters, I found. I really dug it. Yeah, and um, they get fleshed out a little bit more than they do. In, uh, uh, Lex, in particular, gets fleshed out in the TV show a lot more than he did in the comics, really. Okay. Um, he doesn't last a whole lot of time in the comics, I'll be honest. Oh, interesting. Um, whereas in the TV show, he's got that kind of vibe where his dad was um, working on the docks, uh, involved with some, sh- some shady stuff, but nothing too over the top. And he because of the boys getting into trouble all the time, like Lex and his brothers getting into trouble, he ends up getting sent away to this school to basically work off the debt that the father now owns, that he now owes. Um, And and when they show these uh, backstories of each of the kids, it's done in like an animated sort of comic form. Yeah, and they actually got Wes Craig, the artist from Deadly Class, to draw all this stuff as well, which I think I'm a huge fan of. Like Even um, we've talked about in the past on um, iZombie, yeah. getting um, Mike Allred to do the opening credits and the art style for that and, you know, the cut scenes between, um, getting him to do that kind of stuff. Wes Craig does a similar kind of thing with this. Such a sweet nod to the source material. It's like when yeah. they had, like, David Mack being the artwork of the, uh, on, the Jessica Jones, Jessica yeah, on Jessica Jones, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, really cool. One one thing just uh, before we move on to the, like, the, the remaining characters... Um, <laughs> When the school's on lockdown and Lex just like grabs a bag and just like starts sniffing glue, I just uh, <laughs> I don't know that just that just tickled me. In case um, you weren't sure he was Sid Vicious or not, yeah. <laughs> first response when panicked, sniff glue. <laughs> so, what are we gonna do? All right. <laughs> oh oh bless his heart. Um, is that the main core of the kids? Yeah, apart from um, Petra, who we meet kind of oh. as we go on as well. Um, yes. Petra in the comics is a lot more intense. Okay. Than her character in the TV show. She's wild. Yeah, in the um in the TV show, she's got that. She's still got that. Don't fuck with me kind of vibe and that real kind of morose goth girl kind of vibe. Mm. Um, in the comics, she's a lot more dangerous. She okay. she's the one who's always dabbling in poisons, and that's kind of her specialty. But she's got this really crazy damaged vibe where um, they kind of touch on it in this first season of the TV show, where her father and her mother were part of some deranged sort of sex cult that, you know, worshipped the devil and were, you know, doing all sorts of crazy rituals, how seriously they were taking it. It kind of is debatable until you see one of the flashbacks where the dad literally carves out the mum's eye and keeps it in a jar in the fridge. And Petra's just kind of raised in this really death-obsessed household. 
So for she, her, she's kind of emotionless. Yeah, um, it's which is a weird one because in the comics she's got these moments where it's like she just she'll snap and just completely lash out at people and go completely buck wild. But we don't really get a lot of that in the TV show. I'm sure if it had gone further than a the lot. first season, we might have yeah. seen a bit of that where she's she's seen enough stuff that she just completely loses her rag. Because like, there's this really cool um, party scene. A whole episode's based around this party, which um, I'm sure we can touch on. Um, and uh, Billy's like got a crush on her. Yeah. And he's really keen on her. And she's sort of showing interest. But then she just runs off and fucks another dude. Yeah. Like just almost like no emotion sort of comes into the... That's it. Into the uh, sort of deal Yeah, the, the, there's that kind of... Um, that nihilistic kind of vibe yeah. where she's just like, it doesn't matter. We're all going to die anyway. So... Yeah. And especially at this school where we're surrounded by death on a daily basis. Um, she just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. And don't, like you say, it doesn't take anyone else's feelings into consideration because she doesn't have feelings herself. Which I think is kind of cool. I think so too. So basically, uh, to, to start kicking down the doors of uh, the story and how he sort of goes, um, Marcus has his uh, has his first couple of days at the school and uh, he's not really too well liked. Obviously, he's the new guy. Everyone's going to hang shit on the new guy. That's it. And he's got that whole stigma of being a rat, yeah. which you know he's not affiliated with a gang of, of any renown or any particular kind of you know anything like that. So he's unattached. He's, he's very clicky at the school. Absolutely, yeah. They really drive home that point where if you, it's almost like prison. You don't have those kind of attachments. You're fucked. Yeah, if you can't handle it. back to Oz. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so they really drive that point home that like he's moved from one one state of prison to another since his parents died. He was in the orphanage. He was trapped on the streets with no money and no future. Uh, he's now trapped in this school where, yeah, he's got a roof over his head. He's got meals. Well, it's a boarding school as well, we yeah. should say, if you... If you- for whatever reason, haven't seen it and they're just getting spoiled to the hell right now. That's it. Yeah, yeah um, like you stay there at the school. That's it. So he's got a roof over his head. Um, some people do go back and forth because they come from money. Like um, his um, later on roommate, roommate Shabnan. Oh, yeah. Um, he does the, the school during the week, but on weekends he'll sometimes go back and stay with his parents in the suburbs because he's got the money. There's... His family are all like crooked bankers who launder everyone's money and that kind of thing. So he's got that level of renown where he knows everyone's financial secrets, despite not being overly physically intimidating. Um, he's not passing a lot of those kind of tests, but no. he knows how to fuck with people's money and knows how to fuck with people. And in the comics, that really comes comes home to roost. Yeah, he's like fairly... Um, I- you wouldn't call him like a hacker or anything. He's kind of like sort of uh, tech savvy, street smart in a way, like um, I guess business wise. Yeah, very um, much. Which so. is which is very handy for a lot of the things that these people are doing. That's so it. he does serve a purpose, even though he's like a dweeb essentially. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah he's kind of um, he's got that vibe of like Jonah Hill's character in Wolf of Wall Street or something like that. Yeah, yeah, like um, you know, you, you'd pick on him, but then he'd like you know just drain your account That's without it. you knowing. And as he goes on, he's probably going to get addicted to coke and just get more and more insane. Oh, why wouldn't you? <laughs> um, now the other. The cool thing about this school is that they um obviously it is a school. Yeah. They have different classes teaching you different things. And the first thing out of the gate, which we have to acknowledge, is that there is a teacher that teaches poisons. Yeah, boy. It is none other than Henry fucking Rollins. Yeah. Um, oh, so pumped. I'm I'm sure. Have we spoken about loving Henry Rollins on this show before? I'm sure we have. If we haven't, we both love Henry. Oh man, like massively. Um, it, it's, yeah. I, I, he's not like the greatest actor ever, but put him in anything and, and I'm down. Yeah. Like, oh, he's, um, he's totally a guilty pleasure when he shows up as an actor in anything. It's just yeah. like, oh, Henry's getting work. Fuck yeah. yeah. But he's very well suited for this and he does a good job of it too. Um, the fact that like, obviously he, he gets to play it very sort of 
monotone and simple. But um, I, 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 it's one of the things that I've sort of uh, thought to myself uh, watching things like this and to a lesser extent Sons of Anarchy is that Henry Rollins' age now is working for him. Yeah, definitely. Because he's quite, he's, he's, you know, I mean, what, he's, he's in his 50s now. Mm-hmm. He's got gray hair now. Yeah. Um, you know, rather than being like, say, you know, like, um, you know, mid to late 90s Rollins band era when he was like jacked and huge and would play more the intimidating guy that'll beat the piss out of That's you. That's it. Now he's kind of like the aging rocker. Kind of, he's got an aging rocker kind of look to yeah. him. Where like they, They've covered up his tats. So he's kind of like, you know, he's... Um, yeah, he's almost wearing like gray, like really basic grey coveralls mm. the whole time. And it's like, yeah, well, I imagine... He's like the methodical sort of quiet guy that would just poison your drink and kill you. That's it, yeah. Um, so he's teaching the kids about poison. Fun, um, fun fact about this character, not in the comics. At all? At all. I thought it was such a cool thing to be teaching the kids like how to poison they, people. They have some of the teachers and stuff like that, but like none of the outside of Master Lin, um, and even in the comics, um, I'm sure if the show was going to go on further, we'd reveal that like there was a, a father who was the actual Master Lin to uh, Benedict Wong's character. Because oh. Master Lin in the comics is an old, he's got the full-on old-school Fu Manchu. He's almost like oh. the um, the sensei wow. kind of vibe. Um, none of the other teachers are named or shown faces or anything like oh, that, shit. really. The only one we see is like a librarian who we kind of see in the comics. So even like the sister type character? Not, no, not, a not at all. Wow. Not okay. at all, this yeah. Is, this is a cool thing that we're doing this because I'm finding out about this. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, which I loved, I loved all the classes that they showed. Like There's like a, um, this a hand-to-hand would, combat. This was training. one thing I actually loved about the show compared to the comic. I agree. Um, the fleshing out of the actual world of what they deal with on a daily basis. Where it's, it's cool. like, yeah, that's it. What would you be doing when you're like not dealing with the personal pressures and all the other secret keeping and stuff that's going on around their lives. You, it's a school. They're not just going to let you roam free and do whatever the hell you want. You still yeah. have to go to classes. You still have to learn all this stuff. But You've instead got this... of doing maths and in English, you're doing like poisons and yeah. uh, hand-to-hand combat. That's and... it. And you still have like, you know, they have a whole class in one of the episodes about world history, but it's yeah. like learning about famous assassinations and how that affected like political climate and change and that so sort of cool. thing. Yeah, it's the kind Love of stuff it. they would learn in this sort of in this sort of arena, definitely. And it's still like, you know, the note part in class and like this and that and they sort of you know well what do you want to do when you grow up and uh, obviously Marcus is like I want to kill Reagan that's like, it yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mark, Marcus's whole bag is he blames Ronald Reagan for the state of the economy because his parents were um, crushed to death by a um, a suicidal um, person who jumped off a building and landed on them um, and he blames Reagan for the the lack of mental health care. Um, that was a big thing in the 80s in America he cut funding to um, any mental health services in general which is why you ended up with so many vietnam vets on the streets it's why you end up with so many um brutal places like the orphanage he grew up where people were just cashing in on basically free slave labor and that's where the whole kind of prison industry complex really ramped up in the modern era as well so you've got this whole thing where the show is a massive the show the comic everything involved with it even the soundtracks like with naked reagan and stuff like that okay okay look i was gonna hold this (laughs) up for later on we have to address the soundtrack to this tv series quite possibly my favorite soundtrack of any tv show ever oh like hands down um when I when you know I'm saying this on a whim right now because I'm not thinking of any other TV show, but Jesus Christ, it's tough to beat. Um, just some of my notes that I've taken up. Uh, they have a party going. Um, Ice T song "Sex" from the Ryan Payers album plays. Massive fan of old school Ice T and old school gangster rap. That was just 
all me. Um, who else you got? Um, the Brian Posian character that comes into it a little later, which I'm sure we'll touch on. Chuck's in Iron Maiden. Um, yeah, and, wasted years and like, constantly makes references to Judas Priest changing his life and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, like all the uh, all the eighties metal that was very much in vogue at the time. That scene in towards the end of the season where um, Benedict Wong is running from the attempted assassination, and they've got London Dungeon by the oh, Misfits dude. playing. Man, fuck! I'm, I'm a massive Misfits fan, and that like popped me huge. Well, London Dungeon, especially, it's one of my favorite songs of all time, and it's not one you ever hear people talking about in that kind of way. And it would have been so it was easy used for them so to, to, well. to like chuck in skulls or yeah, like, or fucking, um, you know, something really obvious like die, die, my darling. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah you and know, they went the something ones. a little bit different, and it worked so well that like that creepy baseline that goes with it, and oh. it just gives you that sense of dread as he's trying to escape. It's so well done. Fuck, I love the Misfits. And again, um, this was something that was a held over from the comic because in the first five issues of the comic, every instead of a letters page to start with, every character was given a playlist by oh, Rick Remender. Really? He had a playlist and said, I want you to get in the headspace of these characters at the time. So you, each character was given a playlist. And it, for me personally, I'm a huge music guy. We've talked oh, about this dude, a bunch of times. We, we, we crap on about music all the time. All the time. Yeah. Um, for me, like any comic book writer or artist or anyone like that, if you put a playlist together for your books... I will be a lot more invested than I otherwise would be because it helps me get into that mindset. Like I'm a big person, you know, there's certain songs and albums and whatnot that I'll listen to when I'm reading or when I'm, you know, even when I'm just thinking about comics and stuff like that. Obviously it's part of my job um, and that sort of thing. But for me, music is just as integral to build that atmosphere and build that world. And Remender did a great job with this. Without a doubt, I'm getting more and more bummed that I didn't jump on board with Deadly Class. Because when he announced his first sort of initial run, I went with Black Science. Yeah. Instead of Deadly Class, I'm like, oh, I'll get one of the two. I was like, yeah, cool, okay, I'll go with space and interdimensional travel, yeah. which is a weird choice for me. Um, <laughs> I ended up getting on board Low, which Low is just Low is fantastic I, I as well. I don't yeah. regret that because Low no, is exactly. incredible. Black Science ne- is neither of which neither of which are bad choices. Let's be honest. True, true, but uh, this is really cool. But yeah, soundtrack absolutely killer. Music's a big thing. Lots of posters around, like Willie be wearing a Public Enemy shirt. Yeah, lots of little nods like that. A lot of punk going on as well. well that's it. The fact that they go to an adolescence concert. Like, that just blew my goddamn mind. And, yeah. like, sadly, the singer from the adolescence is no longer with us. So they got the rest of the band to play. And then they got um, one of the other um, people who works on the show to be the singer because mm. he was a huge adolescence fan. He knew, like, the stage moves. He knew everything inside and out. So for them to still be able to pull off that kind of tribute, because what the episode is called Kids of the Black Hole, which yeah. is the most famous adolescent song, the song they play in the scene. Just so well handled. Like that kind of reverence to not oh, just man. the original source material of the comics, but the original influences of the show with the music. It's just crazy. Like, yeah, there's also like a lot of the sort of goth, sort of um, neuromantic sort of shit going on as well. Yeah, like, Marcus, just, has, and, oh, just, yeah, yeah. Marcus yeah. has got this real kind of, you know, no one understands me kind of Morrissey sort of vibe going on. Yeah. Thankfully not modern day Morrissey because he's a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like when they're at the party that Adam mentioned before, um, you've got people playing iced tea, you've got Wasted Years by Iron Maiden going on. And Marcus is such a weird introvert who's almost, it's an introvert who's looking for a fight at the same time. Like he yeah. just wants to start some shit because yeah. he doesn't trust anyone and doesn't like anyone. He's like, oh, I'll, I'll push them away before they push me away. Yeah, he's um, not the kind of guy you'd want to be mates with. No, not really. He's yeah. got that real sour kind of vibe to start with. So he brings his own Walkman to the party and he's like sitting at this big loud party with drinking and drugs and all sorts going on and he's got his headphones in listening to the Smiths and it's yeah. like, could you be more of a fucking stereotype dude? Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't call it emo because it was well before that time. And <laughs> But uh, yeah, he's yeah. definitely got that, proto- like you said, that prototypical goth sort of, you know, mo- vibe going on yeah. and like every time he makes 
a mixtape or a playlist for anyone. There's like talking heads and um, all sorts of other stuff on there. Like and it's like, shit. oh, I'm, oh, you know, no one understands but me. You're loving rockets and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Bless his little heart. K- killer, killer soundtrack. <laughs> and it works so well for everything. Um, so, yeah, there's like the party scene, which is really good fun. Um, where do we, well, sorry, I've kind of lost track where we're at. Uh, well, we, 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 we got to the party. Um, we had the references to Henry Rollins as the teacher. Yeah, there's, yeah. That, there's that real aspect of him not trusting the direction of the school anymore. Like he has some real kind of cool, deep and meaningful discussions with Marcus where he's kind of pushing him in a certain direction saying, look, don't take everything the school says as face value because you've got to look out for yourself. Other people will step on you if they can, if it'll advance their careers. If you really are serious about taking the skills you learn here and putting them into chain, you know, putting action into the real world, if you do seriously want to do something huge like kill Reagan down the line, um, I can help you do that but you need to take these lessons on board because no one else is going to keep an eye out for you. And I think that's really cool to kind of give that flash of where Marcus could be in the future. If he stays at the school, he could become someone like Henry Rollins. But Henry obviously sees it like, I've given in to the allure of the school and change from the inside and it hasn't done what I hoped it would do. Mm. So there's almost like that cautionary tale kind of vibe between them, which I think was really, really cool. Yeah, it really gets over that sort of teenage confusion as well. Like you kind of think of like, yeah, I don't know, for lack of a better reference, like Dawson's Creek or 90210. You've got these kids where, you know, life's just, you know, it's just really tough being a teenager. You've still got that aspect going on with all these kids, but instead of it being done in this really sort of corny, lame, Aaron Spelling kind of way. It's involved with like murders and death and That's like you, uh, sort of those you, real you, life you states, politics yeah. are to do with like, you know, like organized crime gangs and stuff like that. That's it. Are like, you going um, to get like Full Metal Jacket beaten in the shower with a bunch of fucking, you know, soap bars in a oh, sock like with and the, stuff the like Russian that? Guy. That's it. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you've got like, there's this one, it, it's one thing that was one change I wasn't a huge fan of in the comics, uh, from the comics, sorry. Victor in the comics is there's no comedy. None at all. He is basically Zangief. Oh, like nice. He's this giant KGB agent who doesn't trust Western society. He is Russian through and through, and he is he is Marcus's enemy. He's the main antagonist. A lot of the kind of the heat they put on between him and Chico yeah. in the TV show, like Chico Chico goes early doors in the comics. Like oh, okay. Maybe maybe three four issues in. Uh, I believe episode five is when again a little ahead of herself. Finish your point about Victor. But yeah, like um, Victor in the comics, he's from day one they're at each other's throats they're at odds with each other because Ivan Drago pretty much yeah um, so he sees Marcus as this like yeah, he's being a KGB Russian agent in the um, in the 80s there's that inherent racism that he kind of carries with him so he sees Marcus as this dirty street rat because he's Guatemalan he's homeless he's not got any kind of any worth in his opinion yeah whereas like you know comparatively Victor's this big upstanding crazy don't fuck with me kind of dude and um there's that real they just do not mix oil and water pure yeah. oil and water in there oh the, the whole russian american sort of uh yeah dichotomy is it's very the 80s well that's yeah, definitely yeah. gonna happen yeah um but yeah like you said there, there is a sort of a bit of a comedic tone towards uh the victor character in this tv show i guess maybe it was just kind of like trying to play on that sort of stereotype they do especially more in modern times looking yeah at a lot of it like, i think a lot of it maybe is that a, a riff on that exchange student 
kind of vibe from those 80s movies where it's like, oh, you know, he's the Russian exchange student. He doesn't understand English. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. Um, As they go on in the show. He's also kind of like the the jock sort of character as you would have gotten like a John Hughes type sort of deal as well. Absolutely. Which again, he's the character that Petra goes off and sleeps with at the party as well. So it's like even more of a fuck you to Billy. It's like, oh, but we've got all these things in common. We like the same music. We like the same movies. We have the same sense of humor. And she goes off and sleeps yeah, with like, a no, giant no, Russian jock with the, dude. With the, yeah, with a big hunky dude. That's it, um, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it plays so well. There's, there's, uh, oh man, so many levels. It just makes it such a bigger kick to the balls that it's, uh, it's been canned. Um, but we really sort of get going in episode five. The, uh, the group of teens they go to Las Vegas. Um, what's the reason for going to Vegas again? I've, I'm um, they basically want to go on a road trip anyway. Um, and get away. They've got like a free weekend. I think it's a long week. I think it's like a 4th of July weekend type yeah. thing. Um, but the reason Billy kind of pushes them towards it is he's given an assignment to kill somebody. This, oh, this right. is kind of his first. Yes, that's right. He's, this is his first assignment because the episode previous to the party, this is when Willie and Marcus kind of cement their bond. Um, they're given their first actual murder to do and they have to cover up this body and dispose of the body and cover up the crime and not be caught um and marcus picks the homeless guy who is responsible for abusing him when he was a homeless when he was homeless for those few months there's this creepy crazy old full-on charlie manson sort of vibe matted hair crazy nails all that kind of stuff um and willie's given the job of killing somebody and Marcus ends up being the one who kills him and does all of that. Because he's a pacifist and obviously That's wants it. no and, part of it. And Marcus kind of has the whole red rag to a ball thing where he sees somebody who's given him so much grief and caused him so many issues in his life. He basically turns around and goes, you know what? I'm just going to lash out. So he ends up... Yeah, Mar- Marcus, like, he really hates bullies and stuff as well. So he's kind That's of it, like yeah, this, this sort of guy, kind of, you know, stick it to the man kind of dude. Um but yeah, uh, when they go on this trip, it, uh, I actually really enjoyed episode five. Um, they, yeah, the the, Ve- <laughs> the Vegas trip is when things go really fucking haywire with it's it. It's when you the, the sort of the series really takes shape with that episode too. But it starts out with a lot of fun. They they, they make a stop on the way to Vegas and uh, go into a bar. Obviously, they're all underage, but they start drinking and that, and they um they score some drugs, and um yeah. <laughs> and Marcus yeah. ends up smashing seven tabs of acid. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because they buy some acid to start with and Marcus realises he's been ripped off with this this previous purchase and the next guy they see offers them a bunch of free... He, he offers them a free hit. He's a like, oh, before you buy. That's it. And Marcus is like, oh, yeah, you're just like that other guy and just Whatever. basically grabs the handful of them and takes them all. Eats a sheet of trips. That's it. And the guy looks at him and goes, good luck, and walks off. So then- <laughs> this is exactly what happens in the comic, by the way, as oh, well. Cool. Like the Does whole the artwork go really wild? Very much so. When, when Marcus starts tripping out and he like hides under a car and stuff, <laughs> it's, it's really quite funny and entertaining, but... The um the stylings of the visuals are absolutely awesome. Like, yeah, it's not you like get a like a high budget show, but um they put in some work to make it look as really sort of yeah. fantastic as it Again, does. this is when you can tell like you're coming from a comic book background and coming from like an artist's perspective where they really drive home the look and feel of everything. Like it's really, really well done. Yeah. Like the dissolving pyramids and all that kind of yeah. stuff and like the big crazy electronic triptychs that going across everything. Like it's so well done to 
you know, drive home that Marcus is kind of losing his mind a little bit. Yeah, everyone else is enjoying like a pretty cool sort of smooth trip and sort of enjoying the ride of the drugs and Marcus is just like in another world freaking <laughs> like, the hell yeah, out. Gibbering under the car like a lunatic. Yeah, but he's still got a job to do. That's it, yeah. So they still have to go to Vegas and do all this stuff. So there's this amazing scene of them driving down the, the um, Sunset Strip. So and, fear and loathing in Las oh, Vegas, Oh, right? very much so, yeah. So you've got the like dissol- dissolving neon and all that kind of thing and all the, all the different kind of neon triptych things taunting Marcus about his past, taunting, taunting him about the lies and all that kind of stuff. Um, but like you say, reminding him, you've still got a job to do. You've yeah. still got to kill this person because he's going to help Billy kill his dad. Mm. Um, so Billy's father is really abusive. He owes a shitload of money to the mob. And Which now Billy then also has to this is the it. mob. This is why Billy's at the school because he owes the mob the, the debt that his dad owes. And if he can wipe out this debt, then he can escape and get his get the rest of his family out and leave his dad in the dust. So it's like, well, if I kill my dad, that debt's wiped out. I also graduate the school. I've got the skills necessary to go and rebuild my life afterwards. It's such a beneficial murder. This is it, yeah. It's a, it's a win-win, except if you're the dad. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay, shit starts going down. Yeah, so um, middle, of the, middle of the drug trip, um, they managed to... They managed to whack the guy. Yeah. Um, uh, they're in the room next next door? That's right, yeah. yeah so, yeah. the massive crazy battle goes on where, like, Marcus... Just, just, just quietly. The violence is really well done in this show. Yeah, not, board, not, not to the point where it's, like, needlessly gory or anything, but it, like, really drives home. Yeah. Shit's actually... People are getting murdered. Yeah, it's Shit's not, going like, down. excessive, like, 80s action movie deaths all around, but when they... When they decide to do it, they do it really well, which, like I always say, as a fan of like yeah. 80s action and horror, I'm all about that shit, and, and they, they really sort of do it well. And even just the realism of the battles, like, you know, Marcus is a scrawny street kid, mm. and him, him and Billy, who's this other, you know, this really weedy kind of punk rock kid with a cast on his arm, it's yeah. like, they're trying to battle a grown man. It's like, yeah, they need to team up on it and use weapons, because they don't realistically stand a chance otherwise. They've got minimal training at this point at the school. So they're using what, whatever comes to hand. So like Marcus will grab a side table and smash the guy in the shins or he'll, you know, yeah. trip his legs up so he bounces his head off the couch and that kind of thing. And they sort of um, like, you know, like uh, in the show, like, like say Marcus gets stabbed. Like they really sort of hit home that like, yeah, he's in a lot of pain and he's he's, yeah. he's bleeding out. Like it's, it's That's it. And from episode to episode, that damage doesn't just magically, magically yeah. heal or disappear. It's, it's like, not Sin City where you can get shot five times and keep walking at someone. That's someplace. it. <laughs> Well, that's it, Billy. As much as I love Sincere. I think Billy, for the entire, pretty much, first season, has the cast on his arm from where his arm gets broken early on. In one of the classes. That's it. So yeah. it's like, well, yeah, you would. You need to, you need to, you need to heal from that shit. So it's, it's got that realism amongst it um, as you're also seeing the shit that is so out of this world. That's it. Um, so the, the whack happens, but then um, shit goes down within the actual core group of kids that is... Uh, on this trip. That's it. So you've got a whole bunch of stuff going on with everyone else. And then in the middle of basically coming down from this drug trip, Marcus is kind of like still thinking he's hallucinating a little bit. Uh, his former roommate, Chester. Fuckface. Fuckface now shows up. He's covered in these. We've seen some flashes of him in like yeah. the pre credit scenes and that kind of thing where. Half his face is like burnt and melted. Yeah, and he's, got, he's got this real kind of yeehaw kind of vibe going on. Wicked mullet. So cool. Like, yeah. he's got the full-on, like, um, denim vest going yeah. on. Whoever plays him, I'm not sure who it is, but uh, does a great I job. Think the character, I think the actor's name is uh, Chris Stevens, off the top of my head. Uh, British, believe it or not. Oh, well. Yeah. But he tipped my hat to that guy. He does a great job as his sang his all the character. Sang all the bits that he sang as well. Oh. So there's moments later on where, basically, fuckface, now that, now that he's all scarred up and messed up and he has no orphanage and that kind of thing, he's like, all right, it's the 80s, we've got this, I'm a celebrity kind of vibe. 
celebrity murders, like the Charlie Manson sort of thing he's mm. obsessed with. And he's got this real obsession with Phil Donahue. Yeah. <laughs> which is, does. you know, he couldn't get more 80s if you tried. Yeah. Um, he wants to be kind of the famous murderer. He wants to be on all the covers of the magazines. He wants all the exposés. He wants all the um, all the interviews about, oh, why did he do it? How did he turn out to be such a monster? Yeah. Blah, blah, he, blah. He wants celebrity through, like, notoriety. Yeah. And he does a lot of horrible shit along the <laughs> he's way. A, he's a fucking in lunatic. In hopes of reaching that height. That's like, it. It's all part of that grand goal. Like, he's going to do enough horrible things to many people that he's going to reach that celebrity status yeah. for lack of a better That's it. Word. He'll be infamous forever kind of thing. Yeah. So like even to the point of when he murders people, he'll set up a little camera and stage them in certain ways and he'll pose the bodies to the point where it's like... You're yeah, almost, he films everything. Yeah, he's got that kind of Hannibal Lecter sort of vibe. But he films everything for the purpose of like down the track, everyone's going to be able to see my work. That's it, like yeah. it's, it's really twisted, but it's also really cool and he sure as hell has not forgotten about Marcus no. in the past. And he shows up and basically warns Marcus that like, I'm keeping an eye on you... Um, you need to you need to admit what happened and we find out that even though Marcus set this explosive device off to get away from the orphanage and the orphanage burnt down it was actually Chester who burnt the orphanage down which is accurate to the comics as well he okay. burnt the orphanage down he wants the credit for killing all these children yeah he doesn't like that Marcus gets the credit as much as Marcus just kind of wanted Chester dead and out of his life yeah, like, yeah he that, that's it's, it's a part of that whole yeah. power play of him trying to get this sort of status yeah and it's the whole thing with Marcus as well is like he's gotten into this school based on a fake reputation of being like a child murderer and all this kind of thing and they're like oh that's why everyone's kind of a standoffish with him as well to start with but they it's like psycho. yeah that's it and it's like no he didn't actually do any of that and now he's kind of been forced into this world where he's got to kill or kill in order to survive but he didn't actually kill anyone in the first place so it's like he's kind of being dragged down and down deeper into this whole thing and they kind of play on that through the whole comic and through the whole story yeah and at the end of this episode which is really such a pivotal part to the it's 10 episodes all up right yeah yeah so this fifth episode is the really sort of the one where we're um we're Shit gets real. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because then Chico and, and Marcus end up... Um... Yeah, Chico has been following them um, while Marcus is in the middle of the drug trip. You've been having him and Maria flirting the whole time, um, despite Maria, He obviously. thinks Marcus is trying to steal his girl. Yeah, and, uh, he's... and he's a piece of shit to begin with. He's had it in for Marcus from the very get Yeah, because he's, he's obviously felt like, I'm the leader of the Latino gangs, you're a Guatemalan dude, you should have been bowing at my feet to start with and trying to ingratiate yourself into my gang. You haven't done any of that, you haven't paid the right due because he's obviously from the really well-connected cartel side of things mm-hmm. and he feels like you need to do things in the proper channels, you need to show the proper respect, otherwise I'm going to cut your fucking face off. And oh, He's such a prick. He's such a piece of shit. He, like, they they do handle really that really, well. really well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he shows up, basically wants to kill the whole gang. Um, he knows that Willie didn't kill the homeless guy. He knows Marcus did it and he's gathered all this evidence and he's like... You either step to me now and fight me now, or I'm going to expose all of you as going on this illegal trip. You're going to go, you know, killing this dude against everyone's will. You're you're all fucked, basically. Yeah. So him and Marcus have a whole battle. Willie, yeah, it gets Willie, really tough. Like like Billy tries to intervene and stop it. He gets stabbed in the stomach by Chico, yeah. which once again they sort of they really sort of you know. Uh, sort of hit home the, the realness of something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you get this whole thing where Maria finally snaps. She can't handle any more of his abuse. She can't handle him hurting her friends. And she uh, cuts Chico's head off. Yeah. That's yeah, at that. first I was like, okay, she slit his throat, but it's a bit deeper than that. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> a, he basically becomes a Pez dispenser yeah, at that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, goes all, um, what's her name from Sin City? Oh, um, um, Miko? 
go. That's a yeah. one. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that that's kind of how we leave things in episode six. And what we find out after that is that, of course, Chester keeping an eye on Marcus, he takes Chico's head. Yeah. And this is the basically sets the groundwork for the rest of the season. Yeah, you've got this whole ticking clock thing where they've got to try and track down Chester's base track down his whole group of, you know, misfits and crazy. I mean, the, 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 from the, the get-go of episode six, Maria's getting interrogated. There's this massive, like, interrogation thing happening because, of course, Chico, being the son of the head of the uh, cartel, this is a big, big fucking deal. This his is a his huge, dad is, like, just yeah. out for vengeance That's and That's it. He, he basically wants to burn the school down to get he does. information like he, about he, what he happened. He threatens... Um, Master Lin, yeah. Master Lin, like, <laughs> massively. Uh, he wants answers as to who killed his boy. Uh, all the kids are sort of... Um, you know, that, is that why the lockdown happens, or is that later yeah. on? Like, yeah, they, they put the school on lockdown because they need answers. Furthermore, no one's saying a word. But in the background, you've got Chester, who's got the head, saying to Marcus, hey, look... I've got this. I'm going to expose it was you and you and all your friends are going to be dead. Yeah, you've got 48 hours to admit that I was the one who burnt down the orphanage. You've got to admit that I basically, I own you. You need to admit everything that I tell you. You need to do exactly as I tell you. You need to set everything up so that I can be, I can be found to be this amazing murderer. Like, very, very bizarre mentality of I want to be caught. His odd pathway to fame. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's um, it basically from there onwards, that's that's basically the lead towards the end of the show. You've got the kids that are sort of all mixed up, kind of like, well, we're all doomed. We're all going to die. What yeah. are we going to do? Like Maria just starts slamming booze like crazy. Yeah. Petra's like, well, I might as well just fuck everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, there's and some, there's and some great got, like, play with... um, with Yeah, with Lex and Billy Lex going and Billy, on. and she sort of that's offers it. them out in a three-way. And, and because Maria's, um, we find find out through the show she's schizophrenic so she's on medication all that kind of thing um sire has been keeping an eye on her trying to keep her off the booze and trying to keep her on an even keel so she doesn't basically give the game away on everything and she's fucking struggling to do that because now you've got like chester and all his gang all his gang trying to murder everybody yeah. you've got marcus freaking out so she's she's the only level-headed stable kind of one and Mar- maria and marcus like they they actually get together that's it they've of, got a know, thing going they, they have a little point. thing going it's so twisted and she's such a mess and like yeah and she's like, kind of manipulating him he's yeah. kind of like manipulating everybody just to try and stay keep his head above water whereas sire's kind of Again, she's trying to stay unemotionally attached and just get everything done for Master Lin and keep everybody, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing because she's got some debt to him where she's trying to stay on the good side of his works and that kind of thing. Her um, master halfway through the show, Master Lin's sister shows up out of nowhere, representing the original Guild of Assassins and all that kind of thing. Um, very cool. Which is cool. Um, again, not in the comics. Oh. none of that stuff's in the comics. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, just, oh, that's, yeah, it's that's a, surprising. I know it's it an makes odd. So much sense. It's an odd choice, isn't yeah, it? Um, yeah. But yeah, she basically shows up, and it's kind of to create this kind of power struggle where she wants to take over the school. She sees her brother as now being weak because he's been there for too long. He's gotten too comfortable and too complacent. Hence, as seen with the relationship with him and Henry Rollins' character, where he's kind of just hanging out, not really dealing with that side of it. But at the same time, he's kind of going, yeah, we, we need to do stuff. Like, shit needs to happen. Otherwise, what are we doing with our lives? Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. They sort of are, they, they do it so well. I mean, obviously, like I've said before about Remender's writing with all this sort of stuff, obviously they've got a great foundation to work with. But <clears throat> as it sort of, um, sort of progresses and goes along, I'm just like, man, this is like... It's getting deep in all the right ways because obviously the kids are kind of a bit sort of frantic, like, oh, you know, we're all fucked. 
but at the same time, like, look, we need to do something about it. And they're like, okay, if we can like kill Chester and frame him at doing that, that'll clear us of this, which will clear us of that. And yeah, it'll be good to do this. I kind of like that that frenetic teenage energy that goes on here, where it's like, oh, if I just do this one thing, it'll like, the dominoes will fall into place. And it's like the world doesn't really work that way. And it's such a crazy scheme too. And the way they plan it out, and you see him arguing over the plans and all that, and they're also kind of like, you know what? We're at this school for this reason. We need to put this shit into play. We can use this for this bomb, and we can use yeah. this for this thing, and we'll use this for this guy. Um, it's really cool. But in the meantime, you've got obviously um, the head of the cartel, Diablo, yep. um, Morales from Oz and that. And he's uh, basically gets fed up with the basically having to wait to get the answers. And he's like, you know what? Fuck it. He's like, I'm going to kill you, Master, and your family. Yeah. Just like, that's it. We, real- suddenly, we suddenly find out Master Lin has, has secret family, uh, which you're not supposed to have as the leader of this particular. Is that in the comics? None of that. Oh, because I thought it was really cool when they introduced like his wife and his little daughter and stuff. It was like kind of brought out a human side of him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so Master Lin, because he's an older dude uh, in the comics, they don't show any of that other stuff, oh. which is kind of cool. I like I like that they, yeah. they made this change because I felt like as the show went on, they were going to do this whole turn and switch where um, we were going to end up with the original Master Lin showing up, the old man Master Lin showing up in the TV ah. show and both his children being there warring with each other and him just going, you're both weak, you're both not doing my wishes, fuck you, and killing them off and taking over the school himself. Okay. Well, it's but obviously like, we never got that. No. So. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they hadn't cancelled it. Um, so, yeah, it, uh, it it gets wild in the last few episodes. It's, it's intense, man. Yeah. You've got uh, basically... Um, You've got Master Lin basically on the run because uh, the, the cartels want to kill him. You've got these kids that have sort of escaped the sort of school and they've got to try and take over because Chess has got this house, like you said, where he's got TVs everywhere and his own sort of, not really cult, they're probably more like his prisoners, if anything. Yeah, he's got um, he's basically got his whole hillbilly family yeah. stuck, stocked up and it's like, well, you're an orphan. You don't really have family. He's just gathered up all these other lunatics who sleep with farm animals and you know, inject meth into their eyeballs and that oh, sort of thing. It's, it's wild. It's pretty fucked and, up. And right? Every, really pretty much everything well with Chester is completely fucked in the best way. Yeah. Yeah. It's so odd. Um, and um, I guess what, what should we sort of do a decent recap of like the, the final episode? I guess so. Yeah. Together? I guess that's really where we, we kind of have to leave it. So we don't give too many spoilers away. Yeah. Um, go for it, my friend. Well, you've got, um, the the cartel actually goes to to Master Lin's house and um, they have this really intense sort of sort of slow burn face off, um, which is really really well done. And uh, eventually, shit goes down and um, Master Lin's wife. Yeah, she kind of throws herself in the way of the bullets. Yeah, yeah. She, she she takes a bullet to the head and she's dead. And that's um, it. And Master Lin goes off. Escapes with, the- with his little young daughter. That's it. Who. To her credit, she doesn't kind of freak out too badly. She's obviously known; she's been raised in a household where the p- the possibility of this kind of stuff is is out there. Yeah. So she doesn't kind of she grabs a weapon as she's running out the door as well, which yeah. I thought was kind you of cool. Get this kind of vibe that their family's just all badass. Like, yeah. Like, even his wife just seemed really cool and like sort of like you know like That's when it, it was time to go, she was like ready. Yeah. You know she what knew. I mean? She knew that like the code word almost like all right, we yeah. have to go now. Um. So they're basically uh chasing after him as like you know. Shit's all going down. The kids are ready to pull the trigger on their plan that night. Obviously, during the day, um, they, they're at the comic shop. We've <laughs> got to mention this scene. Oh man! <laughs> so, like, um, Marcus's day job, like, because they're allowed to have a day job outside of school hours, so they can make money if they if they don't have a family connection with the money side of things. Yeah. So Marcus has a day job working in a comic book store. Um, Willie works there too. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Yeah. That's right. Um, so they they end up storing all of Lex's explosives. 
Because he's got connections for these kind of things, yeah. as, you, as you do as a British person. <laughs> all about that anarchy. Exactly. Um, so in the back room, along with all the back issues of, you know, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and all this kind of stuff. Oh, there's stuff. some cool comic references that come about the oh, scenes definitely. in the comic shot, which are very awesome. Yeah, um, and that's that's true in the comic as well. Like, there's oh, this co- Willie and um, Marcus always have these debates about independent comics versus superhero comics and, like, trying to find the merits of each one, which I, I loved, obviously. That's sweet. Um, yeah, so they, they have this whole scene where Marcus is recovering from the uh, party, or recovering from the gig, sorry. Him and Sire have a fling together. He wakes up in a graveyard after, you know, she's <laughs> naked next to him. He's naked as well, and he's just completely fucked. Yeah. Like, he's tripping balls still. He's hungover. He's dealing with some digestional, digestive issues. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, shows that, oh, man. I can't, I can't even finish it. It's so good. He goes to work and he, um, well, he has an extreme case of diarrhea <laughs> and he ends up shitting his pants and <laughs> the way they show it is just foul in yeah. every way. But and he, like, there's the, the comic, because he gets to work late because he's um, obviously woken up hungover. He's just screwed a girl that he's essentially cheated on his other girl yeah. with. and um, yeah, Both of whom could murder him if they wanted yeah, to. Yeah, so he's like running to the store because he's late to open. Whilst obviously you're seeing footage of Master Lin Run, that's when you get the London Dungeon playing, right, which is yeah. fantastic. Uh, he gets to the store, there's people everywhere, he's freaking out, he's sweating bullets and eventually shits his pants, which inadvertently makes it a great way to empty the shop. Yeah, like- <laughs> yeah, it works out perfectly in the end. Um, and that scene is shot for shot in the comic. Oh, wow. Shot the, for shot. The they basically, pants. Yeah, the whole yeah. thing, which was disgusting. But I'm kind of proud of them for getting it in there at the same yeah. time. The, the funny thing is, like, it's kind of done and dust, and they sort of move to the next phase of the episode. But someone's still kind of like, "What's that smell?" Like, <laughs> yeah, they're constantly like, reference. They, they kind of don't let you forget that. Yeah, this guy <laughs> shit his pants like an hour ago. It hasn't changed his clothes yeah, at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, it's just a little funny sidebar when everything's at like fever pitch of intensity. Yeah, he shits his pants, and it's really gross That's and it. a little bit funny in a gross way. Um, so this leads them to the house where Chester is for the big sort of final stand. Yeah, if you, you will. You get the full on kind of, you know, showdown at the OK Corral kind of vibe where Chester's set up all these traps. He's got all this crazy hillbilly meth army waiting for them. And they basically got to get in there, kill Chester, get Chico's head back. And then I think the plan basically at that point is to pin everything on Chester. Yeah, make it look like he killed Chico because the head's there and all that. Yeah, that's it. So it's a pretty decent plan, actually. But then they, like, the thing that I really loved is that, like, when it's go time and it's time to go and they sort of get rolling with this plan... It pretty much fucks up immediately. Yeah, everything like goes completely sideways. Away, yeah, um, which is great because obviously you know they they are still quite young and essentially naive. And, well, and they're first year students at this school, so not yeah. everything they've learned they've learned perfectly. Yeah, so, so like the whole sort of uh, like storm the fort and do this that and the other doesn't really go to plan. But they do get in there. There's a lot of violence. Oh yeah, and it's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> you, you see the phrase "front towards enemy" a fair bit in this episode. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's and like then a, you even get fights of like swords versus like razor fans and stuff yeah. like that. It's, and it's somebody really literally cool. brings a gun to a knife fight as well, which I thought was a nice flip on everything, rather than being a you know knife in a gun fight. Yeah, yeah, um, you see like. Dogs getting let loose and like chewing out people's throats and stuff like that. Like yeah, before John Wick three did it with like a ten minute scene as well. I haven't seen John Wick three yet. Oh, you have to see oh, it. Oh, all right, cool, cool. That's, that's all I'll say. That's okay. <laughs> oh, at least it's, at least it's a dog getting vengeance. This exactly, time. <laughs> exactly. You can be happy with that bit at least. Um, uh, during which you hear our uh, Mr. Crowley play. Of course, um, yeah. Just more awesome soundtrack to this show. Like fuck, just sign me up. Like <laughs> so bad that this thing's uh, got done. But um, yeah, eventually we get our face off. Yeah, Marcus and Chester go go head to head. You've got this whole basement scene with him, kind of 
detailing the full Phil Donahue plan. He's got like his outfit plan for what he's going to wear in the interview. He's got the song he's going to sing as his kind of like intro. It's really fucked up and bizarre. And it shows that whole kind of cult of personality that they've got going on where it's like, it doesn't matter what you've done as long as you're famous. Yeah. And it shows, you know, because Chester's been raised in an orphanage with people who hate him and don't care about him. He's almost literally been raised by television. So it doesn't matter what you do as long as you get on television. That's all. That's the only price that matters. All they should do is wait like another like fifteen years till reality television. Exactly. Over if only he'd known. <laughs> if only he'd known, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we get this full on fa- this full on face off with like Sire and Maria and all the other the rest of the gang trying to hold off the hillbilly meth army so that Chester and Marcus can have their final kind of set to. Mm. Um, and Marcus ends up managing to almost best Chester. Chester knocks him down, but one of the dog cages opens up. And because Chester's been the most fucked up person in the world and has basically been molesting dogs, <laughs> the dogs want their revenge. Mm. Um, it's like Chief, uh, Chief Wiggum, like <laughs> teasing the dogs relentlessly and then letting the dogs loose. Me, my, me, me, my, my, my. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so yeah. we get this horrific scene where, like, Chester basically gets mauled by a pack of dogs. His throat gets ripped out. His body gets ripped to pieces. It's like you said, it's pretty horrific. Yeah, and you know we've had some horrific moments up until then, but this is one where they just go, you know what? This is the big climax battle. Yeah, if, if, if you hadn't checked out due to violence and, and grossness previously, you then might do. Yeah, you're yeah. fine. By now. <laughs> <laughs> you're rolling with the punches, but yeah, it was a very very strong scene. Yeah, so we we get this whole kind of this whole scene to after that where everyone's kind of catching their breath collectively, basically thinking, how the fuck did we survive that? Yeah, like um, it's done. Yeah, Bill, really Billy um, in particular, oh, sorry, Lex in particular, um, nearly gets shot in the face by one dude. Um, and he has this whole kind of, I couldn't, I wasn't strong enough to beat him. And Lex and Petra end up saving him in the process. Mm. And he kind of has this redemption moment where he like hugs them. He's like, I'm so sorry for being a piece of shit. And just, you know, constantly needling at everybody. Um, I'm just so happy to be alive. Um, they all, the gang all walk outside holding uh, cheek. Just also previously, you've got um, Maria and Marcus kind of break up amongst the fight. <laughs> yeah, that's it. They kind of admit we're not good for each other. Really like, fucked up. This is really fucking um, insane. And in the background, um, I, I keep going to say Sensei, um, Master <laughs> Lin's sister character, which you said isn't in the comics, uh, takes, the, takes the daughter. Yeah, she um she basically saves Mustalin and the daughter from Diablo's gang members and hood members who've gone to gone to kill him for not protecting the son and not yeah. admitting what happened to the son. She shows up, kills the the gang members, but as penance, she takes the daughter mm. to be raised as part of the guild school, which is what happened to her as a child. So yeah. it's like the whole kind of you know the cycle begins anew with a new student yeah, being recruited. It was, it was cool. Yeah, and again, it's a similar thing to um to Victor and all those kind of guys where they're, they're institutionalised, they're raised by this whole system um, and they don't see anything wrong with it. So Master Lin's sister, Madame Gao, um, she doesn't see anything wrong with it either, which is, I think is kind of cool. Yeah. So essentially, as we are uh, to get back to where we were, um, you know, the big sigh of relief, we're all good, we're all done. They walk outside the house and what happens to be there, of course? Yeah. Um, Diablo's there with his whole gang. Marcus is holding Chico's head. Yep. Uh, Billy, uh, sorry, Lex gets shot in the head straight away. He survived all this oh, shit. Walks outside. Straight out of nowhere. Just, so fucked up. Fuck? Yeah, so fucked up. And, and I'm glad they like, kept... It's like the final episode, and you kind of know it's getting late in the episode. And I was like, holy shit, what's going to happen? Nothing. The end. The end. No more show. And you know what? I was just like, as soon as it ended, I was just like, man, I can't wait to do this podcast because I can't wait for season two. 
we're off to the like Jesus Christ, we're in for something special. And um, now unfortunately, we're not. we're not. We're not now. No, it's really depressing. Uh, really so fucking fuck depressing. You, fuck you, sci-fi. They're probably going <laughs> to make another bloody Sharknado or something like. Well, at least we get something out of it, right? <laughs> oh man. No, um, I was I was devastated when I heard the news and great cliffhanger ending. Like I I've, I've shown I told there's so many of my friends I've recommended this to people who are fans of like old school punk and just you know Rollins or whatever. I'm like, man, you yeah. got to see this show. Some have been sort of here and there about it. Some have liked it more than others. Some have picked at it more than me just loving everything but um uh i've had a couple sort of like oh that cliffhanger i was just like man it was a perfect cliffhanger left me wanting more so badly yeah. but the fact that it doesn't get lived up upon it's uh it's, it's almost, depressing as fuck. it's deadwood all over again <laughs> well hopefully we'll get a movie like deadwood oh, to kind yeah, of wrap everything up yeah. not yet no oh fuck all right cool um that's, so <laughs> that's an episode for the future yeah. <laughs> oh man happily talk about deadwood but yeah so we're just kind of left in this lurch now obviously there's the comics and like you said it's quite like obviously the, the following of the tv show to the comics is pretty damn close right for the most part yeah apart from like like, you know, the versions of Master Lin and Madame Meow and all that, and Henry Rollins' character, for the most part, the story's pretty pretty damn accurate. I'm um, going to have to get on board because I need to know where this leads to because it was such a well-done show and it's such a shame that this has become, like, a casualty now. I mean, it's been very, I guess, tale of the times because so many shows are getting canned right now. I think uh, it's, what was the uh, Happy got Yeah, Happy canned got canned as well. as well. I'm happy I'm not that surprised about because... I'm surprised it was a season two. Me too, to I be honest. I don't think it needed one. No, me neither. I felt the same way. Like Have I enjoyed it yet? Yeah, I, I enjoyed the first season. I well, felt we like did a podcast got, on the first season, which you can it. see. Yeah, you can and, uh, go back and listen to on the feed. Yeah. Definitely go check that out. Um, no, I dug, I dug happy. Um, again, if you gave me the choice of another season of that or another season of Deadly Class, even just another second season to wrap up this main story, I would Deadly I would Class like every execute time. a pre previously made TV show to get another one yeah. of these. Fair um, play to that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, um, um, can yeah. Iron so Fist it's one not exists, <laughs> so we can have Deadly Class two, and then they don't fuck with the Iron Fist <laughs> character. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we're kind of left in this weird sort of limbo lurch with the show, which it is what it is. It's the nature of the beast. TV, TV networks don't. But this podcast, like we said, had we done it straight away, it would have been very different because we would have been so gung ho, like fist pump, like oh man, season two. This is it. Whereas now, it on. Now like, we've kind we, of had to grain of salt everything, and you know, have it next week, not next year. Whereas exactly. now it's kind of like oh well, look, you know, at least we got what we got. That's it. And Remenda was really cool online about it all. He was kind of like oh look, you know, I'm very proud of what we did and. It's good that it got made and all that. And he was being a real trooper about it. But I'm like... I'm sure deep down he's fucking heartbroken, to be oh, honest. Like, yeah. How could you not be? When they've done such a good job of adapting it. like yeah. it, It's not been cancelled because it's been so completely... Why did it get cancelled? Uh, budgetary reasons. <sighs> Apparently Netflix... Yeah, no, not Netflix. Uh, sci-fi. sci-fi. Just, they, they, that's why they sent um, The Expanse packing as well. Yeah. It just was costing them too much money. Um, luckily, The Expanse got picked up by Amazon. Because if you've not watched that and you're a sci-fi fan... You need to. It's excellent. I'm so behind with so many TV shows. Dude, we'll get and, to that though, me, but to close me, the book on Deadly Class, it's uh, yeah, it, it's such a shame because, I mean, I guess television as an industry right now is in such a bizarre place. That's it. There's so many options, channel-wise streaming is a big wise. thing, but there's like 17,000 streaming services. Free-to-air TV is dying a slow and painful, awful death. Yep. And it's just everything's kind of everywhere and stuck in this weird sort of limbo that things like this are happening to really good bloody shows, which had they been done like, I don't know, eight years ago, which wouldn't be possible, of course, because no, exactly. it didn't exist, uh, you know, it probably would have lasted longer. Like, you Yeah, know, we probably could. I think it's especially bizarre that we're getting the second Umbrella Academy season and it's made so much money already. I didn't see that coming. No, me neither. And I enjoyed the shit out of Umbrella Umbrella Academy. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
but yeah, the fact that we're guaranteed a second season of that and it's rating like an absolute you know juggernaut, mm. whereas Deadly Class gets one season and it's done already, baffles me to be honest. Hey, I mean the uh, the. The, the bigger ones will always live on, right? If it's getting the numbers and getting the traction and like social media was a lot about Umbrella Academy. Um, same as like, say, the Titans that um, yeah. that DC did. That got, got great reviews where much of their stuff gets uh, pretty average ones. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, you know, the squeaky wheel was going to get the grease. Um, I know that, uh, I guess, Deadly Class is a bit more of a niche market thing. But yeah, definitely. Man, it got a lot of love. It did, especially on this goddamn podcast because as, as we've detailed, we're both massive fans of the show. Um, we're heartbroken about it. Adam's going to go back through and have a massive read through on the comics. Well, the whole time watching this, I'm like, why have I not read this comic? <laughs> why did I like, uh, yeah, like I said, when I was kind of like, you know, I chose, you know, went with black science over this. Uh, I was just like, fuck. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, like we were saying pretty much, pretty much in conclusion, if you, if you like any of the stuff we've talked about on the show, whether it's like punk rock, whether it's, you know, eighties action films, whether it's that sort of, that sort of violent that level. Era. Yeah, that era of TV and movies and even other comic books. What year were you born? 84. Okay, I was born in 81. Obviously, we're quite young for the 80s. I still remember parts of the 80s and that. Yeah. But, uh, due to all the stuff I watched of that era, a lot of That's this stuff's it. very nostalgic. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, but it's not done in a gratuitous way, which a lot of shows do now as well. Like, uh, yeah. even stuff like, say, Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like, it's sh- so much shoved down your throat where yeah. all the references and stuff are really like, you know, they're not, not that forced and some are quite soft. I, I think what I liked is Deadly Cast realised that the 80s wasn't just drenched in neon the whole yeah. time. Like it was pretty grimy and gritty and gross a lot of the time as well because yeah, shit got real. Yeah, There was yeah. some terrible shit that was going on. Everyone was in the middle of like Cold War panic and that sort of thing. It, it's very much like the uh, 2000s 80s party dress up where everyone thinks bright, you know, colors That's it, and, yeah. and happy and everyone and think everyone thinks glow. They don't think escape from New York. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yes, um, but oh man, I really love love this show. If you haven't seen it and have just had the entire thing spoiled, maybe go back and look at it. Definitely have if a watch. If you're it, uh, listening to this because you're a fan of the comics and haven't watched this show, go and read the comics. Don't let the cliffhanger sort of ending and not follow up uh, throw you off because it's a really damn solid show. I think the acting's good, story's phenomenal. Um, yeah, it uh, like to be fair. The trailer, the, sorry, the pilot first episode came out start of the year. Um, I was dragging my feet a bit, and when I finally started watching this because I knew we were going to do a podcast about it because obviously you love it so much. Yeah. When I actually started it properly, I like smashed it. I couldn't yep. wait to get to the next episode, and that's a, that's a rarity this day and age. When, like you said, with a lot of streaming services and things like that, everything's so sort of disposable, and just so with so many options as well. Like first, first to prioritize this shows what a good show it was. Yeah, and I mean, like thinking about like podcasts, there's a bunch of shows we could do next, which we haven't even discussed yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I was kind of like this. This one really sort of hit home, delivered very well. Uh, score out of five. Five. See, I was going to go with a real solid four. But I'm going to go 4.5. I know you're not a fan of half measures. I'm good but, with that, um, man. No, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go 4.5. I bloody loved this. And yeah. I'm legitimately upset that we're not getting more. You and me both. Like, uh, It's rare that a comic and a TV show combined are basically perfect. Mm. But this works for me. Like This, this whole thing that Remender and Wes Craig built, it's basically like they put a big neon sign up that said, just for you. Yeah, and it might as well have been just for me. Like it's yeah, so good. I, like yeah. Even not having read the comic to have the comparison, I was just all aboard. Really dug it. Thought it was great. So uh, yeah, definitely check it out. Yeah, we can't recommend it highly enough. Um, 
What more can we say, really? Yeah. Go and check uh, it out. Let's just very, very quickly. Uh, possibilities for next shows. What things have you been watching? Have you watched Jessica Jones 3 yet? No, that's my next thing for this uh, week. Uh, Nosferatu is one I'm keen to re- keen to watch as well, which is the new TV show on uh, FX, which is based on a Joe Hill uh, novel and series of comics. Oh, okay. Um, so if you're a Stephen King fan or a Joe Hill fan, uh, that'll definitely be something to check out. Um we were going to do an episode coming up soon on The Crow. Ah, uh, yes. As a nice flashback episode, we're actually at the 30th anniversary of the original comics and the 25th anniversary of the original movie. So we thought that would be a great one to, de- to delve into. Speaking about kick-ass soundtracks. Yes, indeed. Oh, yeah. What a great um, soundtrack. Okay, we'll definitely do Jessica in season three. Yep. Jessica I haven't Jones. started it yet, but I'm keen. Because we did we did one and two, haven't we? did, we? so it would be a nice way to wrap up we our Netflix to. stuff as well. Yeah, I think that'll yeah. work out nicely. Oh, Look at us oh. tying everything together, Look right? Just put a nice bow on everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> although this has been our deadly class uh, wrap up it's uh, very sad we won't be doing a season 2 it is very sad but say la vie life goes on there'll be a lot more content to come from um, Adam myself and the entire Sounds Like Comics team um, for any information on upcoming episodes please stay tuned to all of our social media bits and pieces if you've got suggestions for episodes hit us up in the questions comments uh, send some direct messages that kind of thing we're always looking for suggestions and ideas um, if you've got feedback on the episode as well by all means hit us up uh, we're always keen to hear if we if you like what we're doing if you like what we're covering if you hate what we're saying and you don't agree with our opinion one bit feedback is good we appreciate it all um, just hate on us as much as you want that'd be I mean, great they're going to do that anyway let's yeah. be honest look yeah. at us scumbags <laughs> um, that's pretty much everything on uh, Deadly Class thanks all for tuning in uh, we will see you very soon for another episode whether it's Jessica Jones whether it's another couple of things we're going to dip our toes into um, we will keep you posted uh, I've been Gareth I'm Adam we'll catch you soon <laughs>